0: So I'm going to invite up Van to bring today's message. And let's give him a hand because he's, he's a great guy. <laughs> Thanks, Micah. Hey, good morning, everyone. All right, let's start off with a little joke. I hope you get this one. There was a pastor. Uh, church is receiving the offering, and he's he's standing on the stage, and he's watching. And he saw, happened to glance into one of the baskets, and he saw a thousand dollar bill in that basket. Now, just as a little aside, if anybody here has ever seen a thousand dollar bill, you don't need to raise your hand. Just come and talk to me after the service, okay? <laughs> But he he said, okay, he said, someone put a thousand dollar bill into the offering and I would like that person to stand up, please. And so this young single woman stood up and he said, uh, Miss, he said, This is such a wonderful thing you've done. I'm gonna let you choose three hymns this morning. So she her eyes lit up and she looked around the room and she said, Okay, I'll take him and him and him. (laughs) Oh boy. Well, um, last week we started talking about a, a, a series, short series called This Is Us. And, and one of the things about us is we don't want to take ourselves more seriously than we should. And, and we do realize that God gave us laughter, and it's a great thing, and it's awesome to laugh in church. But uh, we're looking at this because we want everyone here to know where this bus is headed. And, uh, you, you know, on a bus in the front, it will tell where the bus is going, to what street or what community. And we want to make sure you know that you're on the right bus. And because when that happens, and we all know where we're headed, and we're all united around that, really powerful things occur, and God's life and blessing is released in the church body. And even more importantly than that, it's released, God's presence and power and life are released through the church body to the surrounding communities and area. And so um, we're we're talking about the church, and I want to read a passage that uh, reflects Jesus' thoughts on the church. It starts off in, we're going to start in Matthew 16, verses 18 and 19. And what's happened here prior to this, Jesus has just asked his apostles who people say he is. And they said, well, some say you're Elijah, some John the Baptist, some say you're a prophet. And Jesus said, but who do you say I am? And Peter stepped up and he said, you are the son of the living God. And Jesus looked at Peter and he said, Peter, you didn't get that by natural, just by your natural deduction, by your natural thought processes. That was revealed to you from heaven. My Father in heaven revealed that to you. And so there's this, just this really powerful moment in, 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 as Jesus is talking to his apostles. And the next thing he says is this, what we find in Matthew 16, 18 to 19. And Jesus said this, he said, I tell you. You are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Now he starts off, he says, you're Peter. Peter is a word that means rock. It means, uh, it, it's, it, Jesus then says, upon this rock I will build my church. But Peter... The word Peter, the name Peter, and the word for rock are two different variations of the same root word. And the word Peter, which, is, which in Greek means rock, it means a, a small rock. Not like the type of rock you'd pick up in your hand and throw, but like the kind of rock you would pick up and it's kind of heavy. And when you put it on the ground, it thuds into the ground and you know it's going to just stay right there. And so what he was saying to Peter was, Peter, you are solid, you're strong, and eventually he was going to be used by God to strengthen all the apostles and to keep them on the right track. And so he's he's, he's calling that out of Peter right now. And the funny thing is, at this moment, Peter really, at this stage in his life, Peter really wouldn't have reflected that. Because it's not going to be that long until Peter's going to actually deny Jesus that he even knows him. And Peter was the one who was always kind of brash and speaking at the wrong time. But Jesus sees something in Peter that Peter isn't necessarily reflecting right now in all of his actions. He's just calling that out of him. But he says, Peter, you're a rock. You're a solid person. Other people can depend on you. But then he says, on this rock, and the word for rock there means bedrock. It's not just an isolated stone, no matter how strong or big it might be, but it is a whole strata of rock that is something that can support a huge structure. And so what Jesus is referring to when he says, upon this rock, I will build my church, he's referring to the confession of faith that Peter had just made. When Peter said, you are the Christ, you're the Messiah, the son of the living God. And Jesus is saying, that's the foundation that my church is going to be built upon. And notice too that Jesus said, I will build my church. He says, I'm going to do it. And so we get to be part of it. He does it. And and I was thinking about this and reflecting back on the creation story in Genesis And in Genesis, it starts off with God speaking, let there be light, and there was light, and then God creates the earth through speaking. And then he comes to a point, he begins to create life, and it says this, God spoke to the waters, and the waters brought forth marine life. All all of the fish and, and other animals that live under the sea. But the water brought them forth. And then it says he spoke to the land, and the earth brought forth all of the land creatures. But then when God created man, it's different. He says, let's create man in our image. And then he says, I, we will make man in our image. And the word there is different. The word will make man in our image is a word that would be used of a potter taking a lump of clay, putting on a wheel, and then with his own hands, shaping it and forming it. So when it comes to man... God doesn't just speak to the earth and and the earth produces man. God takes the earth in hand and he shapes it and molds it personally. He makes it. He makes makes man, which gives humanity this incredible purpose and dignity. And the same thing is true of the church because Jesus says, I'll build my church. You know, there are a lot of institutions in the world that, that human beings create and then maintain But with the church, Jesus says, I'm the one that's going to do it. I'm going to take it in hand. I'm going to mold it and shape it myself, which gives the church a unique place in all of the institutions in the world. It's different than any other gathering of people, any other group of people that come together for whatever noble purposes. The church is different because it is actually shaped and molded with by the hands of Jesus. And so that means not only is it different and it stands out in a unique role in the world, but it means also that it belongs to Jesus. It's His. It's not ours. It is His. And as we serve in the church, we are serving Him. And and as we add to the church, and he uses us to do that, we are serving him. And we keep that in mind so that our own egos don't get involved too much in the whole process. But if you remember last week, I shared a prophetic word we received right at the beginning of this church. Second prayer meeting we had, a guy that said he had never heard God speak before in his life, and he didn't even stay and help us start the church. He just came to those two prayer meetings. The second one, he said God spoke to him that week, and he heard as clearly as could be, I will forge my church out of broken people, meaning this church body. And so God was saying, Jesus was saying, I'm going to do it. And I'm going to forge a church. I'm not just going to collect a church. Forge. When something is forged, there's great heat put. And, and when it's forged, there's, there's a bonding together of metals that come together and are, are bound together. And so Jesus is the one that formed this church body. And when we realize, he said, out of broken people... He's, he's saying, I'm not going to use superstars. I'm just going to use regular people. Just like he did to start the church in the beginning. Because the apostles were, they were not the scholars of the day. They, they weren't the powerful people or the re, religious leaders of the day. And, and that's what Jesus has done in, in forming this church body. He said, I will build my church. Out of, I will forge my church out of broken people. And then he says this, the gates of hell will not prevail against it. In other words, the gates of hell are, it, it, he's referring to the, the work of darkness in this world. The kingdom of darkness in this world. And when you think of this, the gates of hell will not prevail against it. First of all, that means since Jesus placed the church in, on this planet, darkness has been on the defensive. Okay, darkness, the city gates are locked and closed. Because darkness trembles. We just sang that song, the darkness, darkness trembles. Because Jesus put his church here, and his church is empowered to destroy the works of darkness. And so the picture here is, uh, is of the church being on the offensive. Okay, so often I think we look at our culture and our society, and we read different writings by different different people, and we think, "Oh my, we're we're gonna lose our we're gonna lose our place in the world. We're gonna lose our place in this country. We've got to fight. We're and, and like we're on the defensive." But the truth is, darkness trembles because you're here. Darkness trembles because this church is here. Darkness trembles because any church that's willing to read this and believe it and then walk in it, darkness in that church's area and region trembles because that church is willing to believe Jesus Christ, willing to take the risks needed, willing to step out in the power of the Holy Spirit. And when that happens, what we are doing is assailing the gates of darkness. And the church is the one on the move. We are the one on the attack. And so this all speaks to the whole issue of spiritual warfare. And, uh, and, and in warfare, you need power and you need authority. And Jesus has given us that. He, he told us to wait in Jerusalem until the Holy Spirit comes upon us. When the Holy Spirit comes, you get power and authority. And when the Holy Spirit comes, you, you are empowered then to go out and to be a threat to darkness. And think about this, if you know Jesus, I mean, if you've invited Jesus into your heart, then you are a personal threat to darkness. You have authority and power everywhere you go to release God's presence, to release light, to release the kingdom of God, and to confront darkness. And that doesn't mean carrying uh, pickets and, and picketing some organization you don't like. That, that's, that's not how we confront Darkness. We confront darkness by bringing the power and the love of Jesus into the into the situation, and as we step out into this world and, and in fact, as we do this it's all counterintuitive because in in worldly institutions which are created by men if there it's all about. Manipulative power it 's about political power it 's about power moves and trying to control things and, and trying to push someone out of the way so you can step in and, and all of that type of stuff with the church it 's not like that at all. We walk in power and we crush we crush the head of the enemy when we walk in humility and when we walk in, uh, in servanthood and when we walk in boldness and confidence in the Old Testament. God spoke to Moses and he said to him, as he's, as Moses is preparing to go in to see Pharaoh and God said to Moses, he says, you are going to be like God to him. Now we read that and kind of like read through it and think, okay, great. Moses is going to do miracles and, and, uh, and so Pharaoh's going to see those miracles and he's going to know God is with Moses. But that's not what he was saying. He was saying something different than that because with Pharaoh, uh, he, he was, he was such a powerful, uh, figure and such a powerful man that no one, he, he, he looked at no one as his equal. In fact, he thought he was God. The Pharaoh was, obviously, Egypt believed he was descended from the sun god, and he was God himself. And so Pharaoh sat up on a throne that was very high, 20, 30 feet up in the air, and then there were levels, and as you came in, depending upon your social status or or how he viewed you, you would stand on the lowest level and speak to him or you might stand on the next level up. Kings from other nations got to stand on a level that was about 10 feet below Pharaoh. Now what God was saying to Moses was, Moses, when you go in there, it's going to be as if you're standing right there on the same level with him, looking at him right in the eye. And he's saying to Moses, Moses, he's going to view you just like himself. You're going to be his equal. And more than that, because you really have God with you. And so he was saying to Moses, walk in there, not intimidated, not fearful. Walk in there like you own the place. Okay, not in an arrogant way, not in a, not in a self, selfish, motivated way, but just in the sense of the kingdom of God's here. The kingdom of God's in me. Jesus is in me. And so I don't have to fear anyone. I don't have to look at anyone as my superior, I mean, I'm not saying you don't look at your boss in that way and honor them in the role they have. I'm not talking about that. You know that. But what we're saying is, even if you walk in to see the President of the United States or a dignitary from another nation, you don't walk in there fearing. You walk in confident that God's in you and that he can use you to bless that person's life. He can use you to bring light to that person. He can use you to confront the darkness that... They may be experiencing, or that, or that they may be bringing with them, and so we, as the church, walk in this power and authority. And Jesus said said uh, to to Peter, He said, "I give you the kingdoms of the he- of, of I give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven." And and actually, He's not speaking that just to Peter. It's in the you is in the in singular um, it's, it's singular so what he's saying is we've already determined that it's not just Peter that, that is the foundation of the church because later the apostle Paul said that the apostles and the prophets are the foundation of the church and Jesus himself is the chief, chief cornerstone so that's like saying Jesus is the bedrock and the apostles are the, 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 the stones that you build on the bedrock and so all of them founded the church but what, what he's saying here is when he says, I give you, he, he didn't make it plural. And that was curious to me because I would have thought he would have said, you the church. I give you the church, the kingdom, the keys to the kingdom. But the, since he uses a singular uh, voice here, um, s- since he makes this singular, what he's saying is every one of you have the keys to the kingdom. Every one of us. The church collectively does. We have authority and power as a church body. But individually, you walk in authority. You have the keys to the kingdom. And so he goes on then and says, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. And so this church community does have tremendous authority to loose the kingdom of light into the world. To loose the love of Jesus into the world. And you have authority to do the same thing in your world. And so walk in that authority. Walk like Moses. Be, 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 be bold and confident in every situation you enter into. And so this, this whole idea of the church, um, the church is, we are in a war. If there's anything that Christians need to understand, it is that we are in a war. It is warfare. From the moment you accept Christ, you, you've joined an army. You didn't you didn't sign up for just a nice cushy life. That Jesus is gonna bless you now. And and now you're gonna be happy every day and nothing bad's ever gonna happen in your life. You signed up to be part of an army. And if boy, if a person just says, I just don't want that, then what you're saying is I don't want Jesus. Because that's what Jesus Jesus came to destroy the works of darkness. Did you know that? That's why he came to destroy the works of the devil. First John 3 8 tells us that. If I'm gonna be a follower of Jesus, I'm going to do the things Jesus did, then that means I'm following him in destroying the works of darkness. And that puts us in war. But we have to understand this we are never at war with people, people are not the enemy. The governor of New York State, who just approved this new abortion thing, abortion right up to the point of birth, and, and really what, what they do is it's infanti- infanticide afterwards because if a baby's born live, in an attempted at abortion, they just let it die. There are several other states that have already been doing that for a long time. Okay, Governor Cuomo is not the enemy. There's a force behind him that's the enemy. That, that, that He's the enemy. And, and so we never look at people as the enemy. In fact, in Ephesians 6.12, Apostle Paul said in Ephesians 6.12, Our struggle is not against flesh and blood but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. And so we keep that in mind, and that way we are able to love people. We are able to honor people, even though we might disagree with them so strongly. You can almost call it, we violently disagree with them, but we're going to love them. And it's not like, I really hate you, but Jesus told me I'm supposed to love you, so I love you somehow in some mysterious Jesus way. No, it is, when we realize this, then you can begin to see people as victims. Maybe, Maybe willing victims. No doubt, they had to say yes to it at some point in time. But they're victims of the powers of darkness at work in this world. And it's those powers of darkness that we come against. So... When, when, we, when we think of ourselves as the church, we recognize that we as a church are on the attack. And we as a church are on the move in the power of God, and, and we're going to win. Jesus says, the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. And so Romans sixteen twenty, Apostle Paul said this, he said, The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. He's saying that to the Roman church. And so when we begin to grasp that as a church body, we're at war. There's an enemy out there. It's Satan and all of his forces and all the darkness. And then all the resultant evil that happens in the world that we see. All the brokenness. And we recognize we have been empowered as a church body. And we have been given authority to to walk wherever we go. We walk as kings. Wherever we go, we walk, into the, we walk into every room with confidence, just like, like God told Moses to do. And so, so how does the church advance in this, in this battle? And I want to say, first of all, prayer, intercession, fasting, these are all part of the warfare. It's not the only thing we do, but it is something we do. And I was thinking of this the other day. At the beginning of the church, we used to do prayer drives. And I, I would make a bunch of maps of the community and would meet in a parking lot. We didn't have this building at that time. And I'd pass out maps, one map per car, and then people would pile into the cars, and you'd follow the route that I had outlined. And the goal was, as you're going down that street, you're praying for the people in the homes you're passing. And don't, don't rush, take your time. And if you feel like you should pull off the road and pray, do that. If you come to a school or a church or a government building, pull into that parking lot and pray for that institution and pray for, uh, pray, pray for that school. But uh, those were cool times. That was a fun thing to do. Something I think we might try again one of these days. But spending time in prayer and as a church body collectively, we're going to talk more about that in upcoming weeks. We're going to have some, uh, some teaching on prayer and, and have a few days that we'll call all of us to set aside time to pray in union, in unity as a church body, uh, calling upon God to, to work and, to, and to, uh, to advance His kingdom through us. And so unity as a church body, loving and serving is just, uh, it's just part of it because when we do that in the power of the Spirit... We are releasing the kingdom of God around us. It's almost a counterintuitive thing, but meeting needs in the community, not just in a social sense of, well, this is an important thing, so let's do it. Let's feed these people. But we're, we're doing this empowered by the Holy Spirit. We're doing this because the Holy Spirit's telling us this is the next step to do. This is what I want you to do next. This is how you will this is how you'll impact your community. This is what I'm calling you to do to impact your community. And that's why prayer becomes so important, because we need God's direction. And we get that direction, then we just step out into it, trusting God and, and, and moving and seeing Him work. But we also need to learn how to respond to and how to steward prophetic words. We have a lot to learn about that. I have a lot to learn about that. But in Amos 3.7, Amos said this. He said, Surely the Sovereign Lord does nothing without revealing his plan to his servants, the prophets. I I shared some different prophetic words last week that we as a church received early on. But um, a friend of mine, Tori, who's sitting right down here in the third or fourth row, came in and shared with me this week about the importance of learning to steward prophetic words. And so I'm mulling through that, and we're going to spend more time together, I'm going to spend time together with other staff just talking about what does that mean to steward a prophetic word. And when we get clarity on that, we'll come back, okay, and and we'll share it with the rest of you. But uh, that's such an important thing that we honor prophetic words. I got a prophetic word a few years ago from a guy named Blaine Cook, who was one of the uh, founders of the Vineyard with John Wim at the very beginning, and um, he was. we were at a conference, and he said to me, he said, I saw you up on a butte, like out west, and there was a big fire, and he said, you were dressed like a Native American warrior, and you were dancing around that fire, and he said, as you did that, you were calling the broken back. And I made some comment, and he said, well, he said, what I mean by broken is this. He said, broken leaders. He said, broken pastors, broken elders, people who, who uh, were teachers in churches who have become discouraged or despondent or for some reason got kicked out or, or they're wounded and they just don't know where they fit. He said, call them back because you're going to need them in order to do everything God wants you to do in your church. And so periodically I'll walk around the building and just stop and speak to the West and just say, all right, broken leaders, come back. And do the same thing to the south. Broken leaders, come back. Come here, get healing. Get healing, get restoration. You know, Find a place where you can fit and where you can serve. And, and do that around the building. And how many of you know that if a senior pastor gets a word like that, it's for everybody. It's for everybody in the church. And this is for all of us to do. This is for all of us to take seriously and to say, okay, then I'm going to start praying that way. I'm going to start praying, and, 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 and I'm, not going to, I'm not going to say, well, it's Van's church or it's your church. It's our church. We're part of this together. And I'm going to start praying and calling the broken, wounded leaders back to this church so they can get healing, so they can begin to serve in their gifts again. And so the, the whole ministry here can expand into what God's calling it to be and what God desires it to be. Now, you might ask the question, why such a focus on leaders? Why are they so important, so high and mighty? And, and I've you know had people say that over the years. Really, all, everybody here is important. And we're, and we're all equal as members of the body of Christ. But there's something incredible that happens when a leader is walking with Jesus in a close relationship. And when they get a vision for what Jesus wants them to do, And they're walking in the power of the Holy Spirit. Do you know what happens? That leader then opens up places for 5, 10, 15, 20, maybe more people who have a variety of other gifts to join into that vision and serve. And so it's not that leaders are the only ones that count or anything like that, but it is that when, when leaders get ignited and impassioned and envisioned and walking in the presence and power of the Holy Spirit, it just opens up so much for everybody. And we've seen that happen here in some ministries that have been started just by folks from the church, not by the staff. And, and how many people are drawing life out of being part of the, the, the drive-through prayer? Or the prayer team, which has been led by um, lay lay leaders. And so many more things like that are going to have to open up for us to fulfill the calling that God has on our life and our lives as a church. And I just want to end with this, that last week I said that we are called to be a regional church. And what does that mean? Um, Well, it means a lot, but... um, as a regional church, other churches will come here to find life and renewal. Leaders will, and, and church members. Other, other churches will come here to hire new staff. Other churches will uh, will come, come here to see how we do things. Robbie Dawkins said in 2011, when we were entering into a transition from where we were into where we are now, he said, keep track of how you do this because other churches are going to want to know how you made this transition and so there 's a lot that it that it speaks to, but it means for us a lot too, a lot that we 're going to have to step into and and um, we 'll we'll talk about this all another time because it 's so significant and, and really powerful and beautiful but I, just this question comes to my mind it 's going to take sacrifice it will take sacrifice uh, we 're going to have to take volunteering seriously so that our children 's ministry is just primo that we have all the workers we need and more so that the youth ministry has all the all the all the people serving there that we need and more and, and all the ministries of, of the church. We're gonna have to take that seriously and get involved and sacrifice our time. Sometimes you have to decide not to play softball so you can serve. Now sometimes you play softball because you're serving there and you are and you're ministering to those people. I'm not saying it's wrong to do that, but you have to make choices. And so we're going to have to make choices. We're going to have to give some things up that we like to do so that we have time to make this place the type of place God wants it to be. It's going to cost money, too, for us to upgrade things and for us to do the Facebook Live in the quality that it needs to be for us to be the regional church that we believe God's calling us to be. And it's just it's so important. The whole thing, whatever sacrifice we have to make, it's worth it. And here's why. I just want to show you why, okay? I want to ask, I, I want to do something with you right now. Um, I'm going to ask a question, and if you say yes to the question, I want you to stand up, okay? And, and so I'm just going to start with this. I'm going to say this. How many here have a friend, family, schoolmate, friend at work who is depressed and can't seem to shake it? I'm not asking that you are, but how many have a friend or a family member or someone you know? Okay, look at that. How many um, know someone whose marriage is struggling? Stand up, would you? Okay, a few more. How many know someone who's talked about suicide? Okay? If you, yeah, if you're already up, raise your hand. if not, stand, please. okay how, how many How many know someone who has cancer? Terminal cancer, okay, hands up all over. Stand up if you do, if you're already if you're seated. All right, how many know someone who's lost their job? How many know someone who is struggling with addictions, whether they're talking about heroin or prescription drugs or alcohol or pornography? How many? Okay. How many know someone who's struggling with mental illness? How many know someone who's a single parent with two or three kids and they're struggling to survive and to get along? Now, listen, people struggle with guilt over past affairs or abortions or whatever. How many know someone with that? Just look around the room. This is why this is important. This is why we must do this. Because we all know someone who needs the kingdom of God in their life. And we want to be a church that not only welcomes people to come here and find that, but then empowers all of you to go out and to take it with you and, and to bring God's truth and light and life into the lives of the people that you know that so desperately need it. Well, I'm going to pray, and uh, then we're going to conclude our service. And Father, we thank you that you have empowered us as a church body. Let's say this together. We are empowered, okay? We are empowered. Father God, thank you that you've called us to be part of this great work of yours in bringing the kingdom of light into this world. Let's say this. We bring the kingdom of light. We bring the kingdom of light. Father, we thank you that you've brought people into our lives that are hurting. Every one of us here knows someone that's hurting and desperately needs you, Jesus. And you've made us the light of the world because you are in us and you are the light of the world. So say this, we are the light of the world. We are the light of the world. And Father, thank you that you've given us such authority and power that darkness trembles. And when we walk into the room, darkness trembles. Any fear we experience isn't our own. It's the enemy's fear being imposed on us. And so let's say this. We make darkness tremble. We make darkness tremble. So, Father, I pray blessing, Holy Spirit's blessing and presence on each person's life right now here to walk out in joy and power. In Jesus' name, amen.